Did you hear the, um, the theme woven throughout there? You know, giving their lives to people who have um, been abandoned, people who have been forsaken by others or have been treated extremely harshly by their own society and their own culture. As I said today, we are um, we're looking at the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe perhaps Jesus' loneliest moment on the cross, just before he dies, is right, right near the very end, and he feels that loneliness, that abandonment, that being forsaken. Um, his entire experience, just to set the context for this one statement, his entire experience was one of shame, humiliation, insult, embarrassment, temptation. From day one, that's what he experienced. I've been reading some of uh, James Edwards, and he says, rejected and scorned by Israel, sacrificed as a political pawn by Rome, denied and abandoned by his own followers, Jesus is wholly forsaken and exposed to the horror of humanity's sin. We're going to look at this phrase is in Matthew and in Mark. We're going to look at Matthew's account today, Matthew 26 and 27. In both Matthew and Mark, this phrase is uh, only, it's the only phrase that they put on the lips of Jesus. We know he said other things, but they only emphasize this phrase here. So in Matthew, the last time Jesus talks is with the high priest. And now he's at the end of the execution, getting ready to die. And Matthew um, quotes him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's, let's look at this scorn, this embarrassment, this shames, uh, shame that uh, James and Edwards refers to. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 65 to 67, we have him, Jesus, accused of blasphemy. He's condemned to death by the high priest, the high priest. And starting in verse 69 through 75, he's disowned by Peter. One of, the very one of his very closest associates. In uh, Matthew, the first 26 verses, he's uh, um, talking about, he's before Pilate, and in verse 26, he's handed over for execution by Pilate, a mock trial. Uh, Pilate tries just a little bit to get him out of it, but not very hard. He's worried about his own skin, so he abandons Jesus. In Matthew 27, starting in verse 29, the soldiers, they mock him, they beat him on his journey to the cross. In verse 39, he's insulted by the bystanders and the onlookers. Uh, yes, it's a public spectacle, and people came to watch it. So he's insulted even by them. And then in Matthew 27, 41 to 43, he's mocked by the Jewish leadership. He's mocked by the Jewish leadership. And then if that's not enough, in verse 44, he's insulted by those who were crucified with him. That's his journey from the high priest to where we are today, his execution, his final hour. That's the road he walked. That's the road he traveled. It's at this point that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that? You ever felt alone and abandoned? Let me see. You ever asked the question, why me, God? Let me see your hands. You ever ask the question, where are you in the middle of this? Let me see your hands. Have you ever asked the question, why is this happening? I don't understand it. Let me see. We've all been there, haven't we? Hmm. 
Well, I think the answer is going to be found in Psalm 22. So I'm going to go back and forth between Psalm 22 and uh, Matthew because I want you to see how uh, Matthew lays it out. He's emphasizing Psalm 22 all the way through, and he does it for a reason. In Psalm 22, verse 18, it says, They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garment. Matthew 27, verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. When you look in Psalm 22, verse 7, All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. When you look in Matthew 27, verse 39, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. You just see the crowd shaking their heads. Psalm 22, verse 8, He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And then perhaps one of the most perplexing verses in the Gospels, starting in verse 41 of Matthew 27. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. The people that he should have been able to trust, the Jewish leadership, they mocked him. The people that should have known who he was and should have prepared the people and led the people to him mocked him. What did they say? Verse 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. You hear the mocking in there? Hear the shame? Hear the insults? Can you feel that moment of Jesus being alone when his own leadership abandons him? Matthew highlights Psalm 22 through this passage. Those are all phrases right out of Matthew 22. And Jesus, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Psalms 22. And Jesus' own statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the opening line of Psalm 22. So I think Matthew wants us to understand that this is a fulfillment of Psalm 22. We're given the insider's view. What Jesus understands himself to be experiencing is God's forsakenness or what feels like forsakenness, abandonment. Jesus wants us to grasp the idea that he sees himself in Psalm 22. If Jesus can see himself in Psalm 22 and he can ask the question, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? It seems very safe for us to ask that same question. I think that's a legitimate question. And I think Psalm 22 gives us the answer. So this text raises a very interesting question because in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 4, this is what God promised his people. Verse 31, listen to these words. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. In fact, we know the Great Commission in Matthew 28. What's the last line? And lo, I am with you. What is it? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, and then Jesus promised that he wouldn't abandon us, and yet here we are. We find ourselves abandoned. We find ourselves forsaken by the Father. 
So this text raises a very significant question. Why did God abandon his son at his most vexing moment, his most painful moment, his most lonely moment? Why? Why did he do that? That is exactly the question Jesus asks. Why, God? Why did you forsake me? Psalm 22 presents an example of a very perplexing form of abandonment. When the righteous are at the mercy of their enemies, what happens when there's no help in sight? That's the question. When the righteous are at the mercy of their enemies, what happens when there's no help in sight? Psalm 22 answers that question for us. By the way, this is common throughout the Old Testament. If you read the Lament Psalms, they're crying out, God, where are you? Where are you? The same thing that we cry out when we feel ourselves pushed in that dark corner, find ourselves in that lonely, painful place. Perhaps we've lost someone. Perhaps we're about to find out we're going to lose someone. Perhaps we're going to find out we're about to die. Something significant has happened. Why, God? Maybe we've been, uh, maybe we've been let go from employment. Maybe we don't know where the next uh, piece of food is coming from, the next check is coming from. We find ourselves in this place. Why, God? I remember when I was in seminary, Nancy and the kids went to the park, and I wasn't working, and I just sat there, and I just cried. And I just said, Lord, I have no one else to turn to. I just used my last dollar, and I have no food. I remember just crying. If you don't come through, then I have no place else to go. And some of you have been there. So Psalm 22 begins to answer this question. Um, so I'm going to read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and you were saved and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm. Not a human being. I am scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. They trust, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me feel secure in my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. This is a psalm of David. David is crying out and pleading with the Lord. So it, may, it does represent Christ, but it also represents David. And you know what that means? It represents all of us. That's what it means. So when we look through the rest of Psalm 22, we begin to find some answers. Starting in verse 19, we find that... Uh, the answer is only temporary because the Lord will come quickly. David, have confidence. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. And then he says, you are my strength. Come quickly to help me. He will strengthen the abandoned one and he will help them. In verse 20, he will deliver them. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. In verse 21, he will rescue them. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions and from the horns of the wild oxen. David saw this as a testing of faith. It's a testing of one's faith. Why? When you turn to the Lord in faith, guess what? 
you become a billboard for God. You become an instrument in his hands to use any way he sees fit. And what is his ultimate goal? Is it your happiness? Ultimately, yes. But what's his proximate? What's his goal right here? Is it your happiness? No, it's not. Is it joy? Yes, but that's something very different. There's a deep satisfaction. There's a deep joy that comes from serving the Lord. There's a part of us that can't, we simply cannot turn away. No matter how much you doubt. You simply can't walk away. You become a tool in the hands of the Lord. Look at Job. Divine boasting. The thing I hope God never says about me to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? He's the most righteous man on the earth. I don't want to hear that. Job says, well, of course. What do you expect? By the way, we're going to talk about Job in about six weeks. What do you expect? You protect him. You put your hedge of protection around him. The very thing we pray for. And what does God say? I think with a twinkle in his eye, fine. He's in your hands. You can do whatever you want, only don't take his life. And Job goes through the worst year of his entire life. And in all that, says Job did not sin. He's held up with honor in the New Testament. And God knows what you can take. And he's willing to showcase you. Showcase you. For his glory. He is. You become a tool in his hands. Look what the Psalm 22 goes on to say. Starting in verse 22. The abandoned one will praise his name and honor him. Then I will declare your name to my people and the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Verses 27 and 28, here it is. This should not be a surprise to you. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All of the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. What are they declaring? He has done it. That's the conclusion of Psalm 22. He has done it. What is it we keep saying? God did not forget us. He remembered his covenant, his promise. He has done it. That's where it comes from, right here. All the earth will turn to the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness because he has done it. This is a missional psalm. So the answer to the question, why does God abandon or forsake the righteous, is for his glory. Because he knows you will withstand the test. And in the end, remember the deaf and the blind? You will be his witnesses. And God will use your life. You're a billboard. Your life is a billboard for the Lord. And he will use your life to reflect his glory to the world around him. Now, did God really abandon Jesus? I don't think so. I think this is an evidence of Jesus acting out of his humanity. I think this is a sign. This shows us that Jesus is just like us. In fact, you think of the great passage in Hebrews 4, 
14. We have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. In every way, not most ways, in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us hold fast to our confession. Now, where have we come in the last four weeks of Lent? We talked about, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We talked about out of forgiveness comes life. Jesus, is one of his last statements is to offer life and bring life to people who are broken and sinful and don't even have a clue what they're doing, how tragic it is. Today you will be in paradise. We'll be with me in paradise. The Messiah believed he's going to be in paradise. We can have that same hope. So his statement about paradise brought hope to the one criminal. It should bring hope to us. What did Paul say? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Woman, behold your son. One of his last acts was to reach down and care deeply for his mother while he's on the cross to make sure she's not left alone. And we talked about love and compassion. One of Jesus' last acts when he's in intense pain is to demonstrate love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here we find empathy. And that should bring you hope. We have a great high priest who's been tempted in every way that we are. And we've been there, haven't we? We've been where he is. We've cried out to the Lord and said, where are you? God didn't abandon him. But as a human, I don't know if you could tell the difference. You're a human, and it feels like God abandoned you. I think God is just waiting in the shadows, just like he was with Job. Job gives us the inside scoop, uh, the, the picture behind the veil, if you were, that he was there, he was there all along, very actively involved, knew what was happening. Job didn't know it nor did his friends. And all the yelling and screaming and shaking his fist that Job did, which we'll talk about, it was okay. Even as a deaf and a blind person, he witnessed to the Lord because he didn't sin. That's what it says. And so when you go through those moments of loneliness, those moments of where you feel abandonment, maybe you're there now, um, just remember the Lord has not actually abandoned you. The answer will come quickly. It's what Paul said, called momentary light afflictions. And what he's went through was a whole lot worse than what I went through. Momentary light afflictions in light of the eternal weight of glory. There will come a day when it will be a memory behind us. But I think that's the reason. God wants to use it for his glory because he is interested in the nations. He's interested in everyone else. So when you are in your deepest pain, people are watching we're going to take the offering now. From here on out, we're heading toward Easter when we get to celebrate what he has done. This is his loneliest point. So we're beginning the slow journey back to celebration. Let's sing that last verse again, but sing it this time like this is a really good thing. Okay? We can, we can stop lamenting for a little bit. Okay? Have a wonderful week. Go in peace.